the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Hello, welcome again to the podcast for our fourth episode here. Oh my god, it's four already. Yep. And we, uh, so we haven't tackled the thriller genre yet, so we've chosen Fatal Attraction, uh, 1987 film with Michael Douglas and Glenn Close. Uh, So we're going to get into that uh, pretty soon here. Uh, We'll also give you our picks of the week. Uh, This week I chose Foxes. Uh, which was Adrian Lin's first film. And surprisingly, I have not seen that, and it, 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 there's no good reason why I haven't. Um, my pick of the week this uh, this time around is War of the Roses with uh, Michael Douglas and um, Kathleen Turner. Classic. I love that one. Yeah. And, uh, and then we'll uh, round out the podcast with our Murray moment. It's a secret until we get there. Yeah, I'm always curious what you're going to... How you're going to tie Murray we'll into what, what we're talking about. Sometimes I have no idea how I get to what I do. So before we dig in deep into this discussion, uh, what's on the docket here for our topics like uh, Fatal Attraction? There's so much to talk about with this movie. I know we want to talk about the the ending, uh, the that there's that there, there was a big change. Yeah, um, that the ending of the movie was not the original ending. We'll get into that. Um, the casting and how um, Glenn Close was kind of an important factor in this. Um, also, the reaction to the movie when it came out, uh, both positive and negative, those reasons why that happened, um, kind of some controversy behind that. Um, we'll also hit upon um, talking about those juicy sex scenes that everybody remembers from the movie, as well as talking a little bit about the human behavior and character aspects of um the villain in this movie played so by the psychology Close. of it of yeah her not just being this sort of blanket like you said a blanket crazy person crazy uh, murderous with, person yeah with nothing behind it well uh, i think yeah there's a lot to discuss before we uh we'll go to a clip but before we hit up a clip for fatal traction um for those of you who might not have seen it just uh can you give us a little very very short summary on of course well, what is this movie about i think most most of you know but all right so a married man played by michael douglas has an affair with an unfamiliar professional colleague played by glenn close um after a one night stand that spans a whole weekend a little bit more than just a one night um this relationship turns incredibly toxic manipulative and completely crazy and violent um as michael douglas's character becomes the uh, subject of complete and total obsession. And it does get crazy. Yeah, it really does. Just when you think it couldn't go further. Oh, no. No, no, no. It's not done. Well, let's, uh, we'll get into our first topic of discussion, but let's go to right. a quick clip of Michael Douglas and Glenn Close getting to know each other. <laughs> well, I tell you, it's, uh, you want one? No, thank you. No. No, it's funny being a lawyer. You know, it's like being a doctor, everybody's telling you their innermost secrets. You have to be discreet. Oh, God, yeah. Are you? 
Yeah, my word. Disagree. Yes, I'm discreet. Me too. Can I ask you something? What? Why don't you have a date tonight, Saturday night? I did have a date. I stood him up. That was the phone call I made. Does that make you feel good? Does it make me feel bad? So, uh, first, uh, I guess we can start with casting here. Um, just, you know, when we were doing research for the movie, um, we both found that Glenn Close was the absolute last person they wanted for the movie. Which is so crazy to me. Uh, I think they, like, had thought of just every known actress that you could think of from the 80s, 70s, and 80s. Um, and Glenn Close really, uh, she really worked she, to get this yeah, part. Yeah, she really she, had to pursue it pretty, pretty heavily. And even um, then, like Adrian Lynn was, Adrian Lynn, the director was not interested um, initially. Anyway. And I think we had. It, I feel like we talked about this how it's almost the that she's not this typical beautiful Hollywood t- type actress, whereas. You know, so they, they there was this concern that because she's not the most beautiful woman in the world, it's going to make her unlikable because she's doing these menacing things where we were, we kind of mentioned how basic instinct is a reversal of like, yeah, Sharon Stone's so attractive. That's why they don't think that she could be the killer because so it's just like this kind of odd. I know part of part of the Michael Douglas victim trilogy. Yeah, um, Michael Douglas. Yeah. The um, what's what's interesting to me though is that with Glenn Close in in this movie that it's not that she's like it's not that she's particularly unattractive. It seems more like that she was just so cast as uh, as such a professional, dramatic, straightforward, maybe. I don't even want to say matronly, just but just like a straightforward act for, yeah. um, more so than like a sexy bombshell. Yeah, and I and I, but I think it lends to the movie because I do feel that when they first start to have this relationship, and and Michael Douglas is sort of I mean he he's a handsome guy, but he's also not overly han- you know he's yeah. got the everyday man kind of vibe like. Totally, which is um, why he is perfect for this part, too. And I think because they both, you know, have, like, a somewhat normalcy to them, the story, it, hel- it helps the story evolve. Like, mm-hmm. I sort of feel like I can get more into it. It seems more relatable. And I also buy that in 1987 that Glenn Close's character is a working professional woman and very, I mean, she's extremely commanding and... It, there, there's no no part of me that questions um, that, especially during that time when that was something that was really being something that was strived for as, as far as like women goes as like being respected in a professional atmosphere. And she wasn't wearing a pantsuit. Just want to point that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it it is uh, 
I, I think it's like yeah, it's a very mature movie for the 80s and for mm-hmm. like a woman strong female lead character um, and I do think that uh, there is this nice transition I know we were talking about you know the role could have been played straight insane person goes nuts mm-hmm. and I, I read that Glenn Close really studied the psychology of what like she took her character talk, would have went through. She talked to a couple psychiatrists, yeah. right? Yeah. And how, you know, the reason why, because she had been abused in her life, mm-hmm. that she would lash out to somebody who paid her all this attention or that she would become obsessed with someone that would, you know, would yeah, show seem her. to like show her affection, show like some love for her. And then when that's rejected, that all this sort of built up yeah. animosity over all these years, like you know, comes, comes out, out. And, and spades. Yeah. I think that what's so important with this character and, and, and I think it, it lacks in a lot of movies that came after it, just that whether or not we know, we, we learn a little bit about her backstory a tad bit, um, but it's mainly, it's all played through. I think we see her behavior and knowing about psychology, what, what we do today, Glenn Close, it's it's very obvious that she studied this this person and thought about the psychology of this person, and it's not just a a blanket like this is just a crazy person acting acting out. Like there's there's some serious um, psychology going on. Even I when I was one part that I rewatched and was struck by is um, kind of after she's lost her mind a little bit and she's outside their house outside Michael Douglas's house and she watches he and his wife interact with their child um whether it's um don't want to give anything away whether she's getting sick for another reason or not um it is portrayed as if she's nauseated by seeing this interaction and yeah and it's that part always strikes me as just like this is this is deeper than just someone just being crazy without a story behind it well yeah and i i do think that there's a, a really good balance between her going through these sort of psychotic emotions uh, mm-hmm. minced with her being very intelligent and manipulative because uh, there you know she a lot of the time i mean she's controlling the situation she's controlling yeah. when she lashes out at michael douglas you know she's right in her mind to create these situations to cause him distress mm-hmm. and she knows the right things to say to push buttons um she's and, an incredibly intelligent character and i i, I like the thing I, what keeps me interested in this movie and again this is a film that has been carbon copied a million times and so and generally we get the dumbed down version of kind of like what you said before this just sort of the the crazy temp or the crazy babysitter yeah the, the crazy gardener you know <laughs> or whatever you know and and the, you know and they end up like killing all their the, yeah. the main, they become obsessed and they kill everybody around the person yeah and, and this is a movie that i feel like takes m- more realistic levels of her doing things to michael douglas like putting the acid on his car like mm-hmm. um that's so extreme but yeah. but at the same time yeah i could see that but i do like how it's played in a way of you can feel like oh if this was happening to me 
uh, you can ki- you could kind of see how this would play out versus mm-hmm. a movie where someone as soon as the uh, the villain starts killing people, it kind of turns into another movie. It kind of it, it, it doesn't become throwaway, but it it certainly pulls you out of the realm of like what a regular everyday person might face. Yeah, like the reality of what the situation actually could have been and then makes it something that's so outlandish that it doesn't even... It's not the same story, like you said. And uh, so going into... uh, Before we take another short clip break here, Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk a little bit about Adrian Lin, uh, the director. We were kind of mentioning earlier that, you know, a lot... A lot of his films, they deal with these themes of betrayal and deceit, infidelity. infidelity. And it's interesting because Fatal Attraction was, became like the, the jaws of, and like, mm-hmm. are you, you know, you're afraid to go into water, or like cycle, you're afraid to take a shower. It's like uh, Fatal Attraction was like men were like, yeah, Don't cheat. I'm afraid to cheat on my wife now. Yeah. People were coming up to Adrian Lynn and being like, thanks a lot, man. Yeah. Uh, and, and w- women thanking uh, Glenn Close for yeah. for keeping their husbands in check. All of these messages are so bad. That's like you um, don't want to say thanks for helping me not cheat and right. thanks for keeping my man in line by scaring the crap out of him. Right. Um, but <laughs> it is uh, but it is interesting because this is to me the infidelity has been something that has been in literature and movies far. Since the beginning, but somehow this movie t- took it and it, it was able to portray the consequences in a much deeper, darker, psychological sure. way that that really affected people. Um, and also in a way too that this movie w- was just such a huge hit. I mean, critically and commercially, um, and most of the movies we do on the podcast are fun movies. But I mean, this one was like nominated for. A few Academy multiple Academy Awards, Awards yeah. like you know, best picture, best director, and it really was a smash hit, like internationally as well. And I think a lot of that do is into part that it that it really taps in. It's entertaining and it's thrilling, but it does tap into that you know real it's deal what, situation of this could happen to anybody. Exactly. I think that's why it will always continue to work is because it it hits on something that no matter what you identify as or like what kind of relationship you're in um the idea of any type of of lying whether it be you know cheating on a partner or any type of deceit um that is going to be something that always hits home with people and causes a reaction that's almost you can't even really control it it's just like the ultimate betrayal yeah and and i and i think too the other i think the other human emotion that that is really mind and fatal attraction is the self-preservation kicking in yeah um you know Michael Douglas for everyone Michael really. Douglas and and Ann Archer character playing Michael Douglas's wife yeah. the moment that she becomes protective even though her husband has done uh has cheated on her you know she's like well this this outsider is the minute they're gonna harm her family or harm yeah. my child um she and beca- it, she's mama bearing out hardcore yeah and it, and it really is uh it's interesting because I think that that is a emotion that it's it's one that I think is rarely talked about. You know, it's like one of those dark things 
that always comes up in a terrible situation of like you know it, it, you know someone hits someone with their car or something you know what i mean there something bad happens and they're immediately the protective your instinct is protecting yeah. myself and you, yeah. you you shut off your you shut off your humanity you shut off your um empathy for a moment so that yeah. you can make sure that you're fine and then you can uh, you know come out of that and i think that yeah. this movie really captures that with michael douglas's character with Anne archer's character um and also even with glenn close's character you know she's trying to make something happen with this relationship you know even if she has to force it she sees you know she doesn't want to feel lonely yeah everything there's I, I hate even saying that she's the villain of this movie even though like she she is what causes the drama really i mean actually really what causes the drama is is michael douglas cheating but right she she is the one that that, that causes a lot two of the tango though it's very true I'm just <laughs> no it's true though but I, I I hate the idea of saying that like Michael Douglas is the hero or something of this movie and she's the villain I don't ever think of this movie like like that really if we're gonna look at it like that I would say like the hero of this story would be Ann Archer in in the end yeah um well I think we'll talk about this because the there is a there is that there they they altered this story here where they made her the villain. She uh. necessarily wasn't. She's presented as a villain because they changed the ending. And oh, and we'll, I'll, I'll play the clip of the uh, uh, the original ending. I found it. What's the, what's that? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm getting ahead of myself oh, a little no, bit no, too much. Oh no, no, it's fine. You're fine. <laughs> well, we'll, 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 well, let's we'll, we'll come. Yeah, we'll come we're gonna right come back, to, back that. to that one. Let's. Uh, I'm gonna find a clip here of. Uh, what, we'll um, come back here. I'm gonna, um, find, I'm gonna find a clip of maybe the when things are starting sex to ramp in the kitchen counter. Maybe that, I don't know if that's some, gonna play well. In it's audio. Probably not. It'll just yeah. be a lot of splashing yeah. water. I think I'll just play something that's more of uh, <laughs> the things, the detention <laughs> ramping up. Okay. Yeah. Pro that. I don't know what you're up to, but I'm gonna tell you it's gonna stop right now. No, it's not gonna stop. It's gonna go on and on until you face up to your responsibilities. What responsibility? I'm pregnant. I'm going to have our child. Alex, that's your choice, honey. That has nothing to do with me. I just want to be a part of your life. Oh, this is the way you do it, huh? Showing up at my apartment? Well, what am I supposed to do? You won't answer my calls. You change your number. I mean, I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. You don't get it. You just, you don't get it. Don't you remember our weekend? It wasn't that wonderful. Why can't we just be like that again? I know you feel it too. I mean, what are you so afraid of? <laughs> just don't flatter yourself. So, uh, kind of touching on what we were mentioning um, before the clip, the the Glenn Close character is actually the studio, um, and I don't know how well. I feel like this is a fairly well-known story, but yeah. they finished the film, and in the original ending that they shot, Glenn Close uh, commits suicide, the Madam Butterfly, which is used earlier in the film, and then the detectives show up to Michael Douglas and you know, or ask him, Basically. "Do you know this woman or whatever?" And she's t- let lets him know that she's dead, and. The movie didn't play well. I mean, the movie played well, but the moment that the audiences really, really hated the ending, 
And so the producers felt that where the movie stopped working was after you hear Ann Archer, Michael Douglas's wife, say, if you ever come near my family, yeah. then I'll kill you. They said, you know, you need to have that follow through. That needs to be the ending of her protecting the family. And so they reshot the ending, which Glenn Close was totally against because it changed what you were saying. It changed. She went from being the victim to the villain in a, in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. It, and I think if memory serves, like it, it took her a few good weeks to actually be convinced to, to reshoot the ending. And I mean, you can't reshoot it without her, obviously. Um, but it really does c- completely change the vibe. Not ne- not necessarily the vibe, but it, it, it makes her much more of a menacing character um, versus someone who is mentally ill. When it also kind of washes away Michael Douglas's part in this. Yeah. Uh, you know, because he survives and his wife kills uh, this woman form that he cheated on. Yeah, like there are no consequences basically for Michael Douglas. Which uh, I would like to, if we could briefly, you've mentioned this to me a little bit, uh, you've talked about the The Michael Douglas victim marathon. Or (laughs) the Michael Douglas victim trilogy. What is what is the genesis of this? What, can you explain what's the Michael? I, I don't remember where when it came to me, but it. Um, and what are the three movies here that we've got? Fatal Attraction, Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct, and Disclosure. Disclosure. Um, where he is is the victim of strong, powerful women, and I I don't think that this is something that maybe Michael Douglas set out to do in his career, but I think it. I have always blamed it on, on Fatal Attraction because it was such a successful movie and movies have have copied you know either the entire thing or bits of it since then um, I've always kind of blamed it on that um, just that there's something about Michael Douglas man he's he's an everyday man like you said and he's very likable from what I've heard he's a pretty easygoing actor he's intelligent he's like fun on the set um so i think you're gonna make a movie with michael douglas in it it's probably gonna do pretty well so why not you know rework this formula that's already worked before and basic instinct was a huge hit yeah um not necessarily like my most favorite movie in the world like there there's so many more issues with that i would say than even fatal attraction and disclosure, I would say the same thing that there are issues with that as well. Um, now, do you think it works on a level? Because Michael Douglas is—he does have like a very genuinely masculine vibe about him. Yeah. Like he, when you think of movies with, or even like modern movies, you know, like Tom Hanks isn't, doesn't yeah. give off a masculine. He doesn't vibe, ooze masculinity. But, but like, no. Um, but Michael Douglas is one of your sort of like. He, rock solid like masculine men but he's not type overly overly masculine yeah, he's not, not like macho a brute, not a brute, you know. yeah he's 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 handsome he's easygoing but he's not smarmy and he's just very much you you could talk to the guy you you'd uh, at least i feel like that um i think that's why he works in every movie he's in it's because he is incredibly likable um therefore I think for some reason, um, and, and in all of these uh, movies of the Michael Douglas Victim Trilogy, um, there's 
a lot of a lot of blame on his part because I mean what what's he doing in basic instinct he's having sex with the um, subject of a murder investigation yeah. and then in disclosure he's th- having sexual relations with his boss like I mean this is there's there's a lot of questions I need to rewatch disclosure disclosure I need to rewatch disclosure but I do feel that this. Let me tell you, the computer graphics in that are so amazing. It's They're like ninety-six a, or five or something. Tri- trilogy, I, th- I can see happening. It's one of my you know. favorite trilogies to watch all three of these back to back. Um, I love Michael Douglas. I'm not putting the man down. I just no, think no, it's I, really funny that there are three movies <laughs> where he's I like the male de- victim. I didn't want to detour, but I, I, I wanted to talk about this Michael Douglas victim trilogy. <laughs> Which, yeah, you know, it's worthy of discussion. It is. It is. I believe it is. Um, but we'll go back back to the ending here. Mm-hmm. They reshot the ending of Fatal Attraction that you see now, which is Michael Douglas. She Glenn Close shows up at their house. Michael Douglas is drowning her in a tub. Ugh, you think that, that she's scene. dead, and then she pops up, and then. Ann Archer's there. With it's like that gun, horror movie ending. Down. You, yeah, you, very horror movie. You think that you think that the killer's dead, and then they come back for one more scare. Yeah, it's a very yeah. very horror movie B B B movie type ending. Yeah, but I do think that both endings work. But I do understand why audiences reacted to that, and I and I do think it's one of those. You always hear about studio studios meddling with films, mm-hmm. and. I, I can't remember verbatim, but one of the producers basically said, you have a really good movie on your hands, but if you change ascending, you have this massive hit on your hands. And it, yeah. you know, it was one of those times where they were, you know, they were right. They did this ending and it was just a smash hit. Everybody loved it. They've cheered whenever. Yeah. When Ann Archer does um, the deed. But it does chain. But, but, but like you said, it does. She becomes more of Glenn Close becomes more of this monster. She's no longer mm-hmm. the the victim of her own mental illness and of, you know, that she got involved with someone that doesn't want yeah. to be in a relationship with her. And I don't want I don't want it to come off as saying that, like, there's something that where the movie like, gets crappy or something at the end. It's not a bad ending at all. It's great. Um, it's just that it feels like like where the original ending of the movie is like there's no like ultimate climax it's just this like it's like a depressing ending but it's yeah. actually a little bit more realistic i think than the actual ending of the movie the actual the, like the ending of the movie that we see is very much a movie ending which is w- one of the most memorable memorable um endings to a movie that i can think of when i think of this movie i do think of the ending yeah, I don't necessarily think that I would say the same thing if it were the original ending. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a satisfying ending. You know, it's a yeah. satisfying ending. And I watched the the original ending that they did, and I do feel it, it works, but it ends on you know sort of a bleak. It's very bleak. Very bleak note, not an exciting note, it's but poetic yeah. in a really disturbed way. Yeah, but um, yeah. It's not, it's not that you don't have, you don't leave the theater feeling vindicated or anything like that or feeling better about a terrible situation by any means. Well, I hate playing so many clips in this uh, episode, but I just, I want to just play 
the very, very end of the original ending where the detective shows up and is talking to Michael Douglas about the Alex's character killing herself. Yeah. And then we'll come back and do a couple of final wrap ups on uh, mm-hmm. fatal traction before we kick into uh, our pick of the week. Okay. My experience, a woman who wants to kill herself doesn't cut her throat with a nine-inch kitchen knife. I didn't do it. In that case, all we have to do is check your fingerprints against the murder weapon. There's some kind of misunderstanding. I want you to call Arthur right away, okay? Mr. Gallagher. I'll be right there, all right? Just a minute. His number's upstairs in my book. Tell him what's happened, and then I need it. Really it. Really it Alex Forrest is dead. I'm sorry, your what? husband's under arrest. <gasps> Wait just a goddamn minute. Ah! Ah! How did you go back? You go back in the house right, right honey, now. Just please do what I said. Do what I said, all right? Call us. So that is the, that's just a partial of the original ending that they made. Um, mm-hmm. But if you have the, I think it's a special edition DVD they have the whole full ending. I don't even know if I have the special edition, but I have one that has deleted scenes, and yeah. I, I'm, I or bet that's included. It might just be the deleted scene, yeah. Um, worth taking a look, you know, if you after you watch the movie. It's it's one of the best things, I think, because a deleted scene, you think of a 15-second clip or something that doesn't really matter. Yeah. This is, um, this actually changes the entire course of the movie, so. Well, I think it, yeah, it's one of those things, too, where I, I, tr- I used to watch deleted scenes all the time when I'd get a DVD, and now. Yeah. Because yeah, usually you watch them, you're like, oh, I see why they cut this out. Yeah. <laughs> but when it's an alternate ending, that's especially given the history of why they changed it it is more fascinating to me yeah i think it's only with with movies that you really really love do you care about the throwaway scenes like yeah. with i have i think i have two different copies of ghostbusters and like i care about that but those scenes are terrible like it's not terrible it's just like meh why do they exist yeah but yes i love them and think they're important and should have been kept in there for a four-hour movie yes right. of course <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Moving on uh, to those juicy sex scenes you were talking about. Juicy sex scenes that everybody remembers from this and, movie. And this is a film, I think, uh, Adrian Lin is a director who does not shy away from tackling sex scenes in what movies. What was this film before this? Before this was Nine and a Half Weeks. Which was basically all sex, right? right? Yeah. And I think... Uh, I think it does, you know, that's sort of his style, like all his movies. Unfaithful is another one that... I love Unfaithful. ...really handles sex scenes in a way that is tasteful, is not super exploitive. It um, seems very honest and, like, guttural, yeah, too, at the yeah, same time. Yeah, it, it gives the character... It makes you understand where... It makes you understand where the characters are coming from, why they're doing the things that they do, Um yeah, even where another, other directors might, they, you know, there's a suggestion of a sex scene, um, which I understand. I mean, it's always, it can be uncomfortable for an audience. It can be uncomfortable yeah. for actors. Um, and I think that's why most directors shy away from it. But Adrian Lin, I think he has a way to 
he might special in specialize in the like spur of the moment, like animalistic, like kind of desperate seeming. Not desperate, but like in the moment, like heat of the moment sex. Right. Um, which is what happens in Fatal Attraction, and there are really only two sex scenes. Yeah. And they're not like graphic or anything. It's honestly I think that the reason that they're so memorable is because of how like how that moment is approached. Um or with the like the faucet turning on and the I dish. mean the, the faucet the turning sink. on yeah, the faucet turning on dishes <laughs> the getting using of the water yeah. on different body yeah. parts. Um and even that scene what's so great about that scene just as uh, as as a part of the movie um is I, we talked about this earlier is like after like a, a little a little bit of the sex that happens there on the uh, kitchen counter and then they move away presumably attached as one unit michael right. douglas and glenn close um michael douglas is carrying her um with her legs wrapped around him and his, and his pants around his ankles yeah and it's he's sort of like shuffling. He's like shuffling which along. I, I think that was his, the, he said it was his idea yeah. or Adrian Lynn's idea to give a little bit of comedic like relief. A, a little bit of levity. Yeah. yeah. And it really, I think during that moment adds a lot of um, honesty, I think. And it, and, yeah. it, and it feels like almost like the pressure of, um, uh, of a sex scene is is taken off right. almost and it makes you feel a little bit more like at ease and maybe a little less tense when you're sitting in the theater watching a sex scene it's, yeah. it's pretty like intense and i think it's important to show ha- i mean have the sex scene be an important part of the movie if it's a movie yeah. about a guy who cheats on his wife and yeah. that's the main plot of the film this must have been incredible uh, right yeah so. you know if you just have this sort of like you know <laughs> Uh, they pull the blankets up and then it cuts the next day. I don't know that. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, you don't. You know, it's like yeah. now, now, now she's mad at him. You yeah. Know, so yeah, and and I mean the the other sex scene I have to say isn't isn't even sex. It's 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 another form form of the oral version, but it happens in a freight elevator. And on, uh, I'm gonna go on record right now, Justin. Every time I go into the freight elevator in my band practice space, yeah always think of that scene every single time think of that scene every time i've been in a freight elevator since i've seen that movie i always think of yeah michael douglas every time i'm in a freight elevator i'm always just like god i hope this thing doesn't freaking snap and i crash to the ground (laughs) i think you should get on like my page and it'll be a lot more of a pleasurable experience for me i just don't trust freight elevators but it may weird out anybody that you're right. in the elevator with. It's like, hey, did you ever see Fatal Attraction? Right. Um, Someone's like, are you are you worried about this elevator breaking down? It's like, used to be. Actually, now I'm thinking about a BJ. Right. Really. So. <laughs> but again, these these scenes really aren't that graphic. I mean, no, they're not. But it is something that both these scenes are. Um, uh, really a, a lot of what people remember from this movie. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's and because they are, it's, I think it is so rare that yeah, it's, they're not exploitive. They show so little, but yet they're shot and staged in a way that is very memorable and very, you know, makes you think, make, you know, Would, it's, 
Which, like you said, it better be because, like, she is obsessed with him for the rest of the movie. So it better be incredibly memorable, right? Right. I guess it works. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap up Fatal Traction here, there was two things we want to hit on. One, uh, we were talking about the reaction to the film, mm-hmm. uh, both men and women's reaction to the film, which uh, we were talking about, like, the Jaws effect of, and the yeah. psycho effect of, like, you're afraid to go into the ocean after Jaws. You're afraid to take a shower after Psycho. You're afraid to cheat on your wife or finally there was a movie after Fatal Attraction, and uh, reactions of men being uh, terrified of this film, and then uh, Glenn Close saying that women f- feeling, oh, thank you for yeah. providing this this fear um, that like in uh, so just a terrible way, in a horrible yeah. way of that like. Uh, people are just, you know, my my husband uh, would have cheated on me, but thankfully he saw this film. And this movie stopped him. Yeah. Ooh. I don't know if that's a permanent fix, actually, on your situation. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. Um, another thing, that, another kind of, um, well, it was more of like a backlash, I guess, was um, from, uh, from women, uh, maybe like a feminist culture. I consider myself a feminist. Um who were saying that this was uh, yet again a portrayal of a woman or who was, um, you know, in a position of power, who was confident, and she is made into a sexual monster, basically. She's using um, sex as a weapon, and um, she's controlling this man and using all of these stereotypes that, that we would think of um of women in like a negative light um especially at a time in the late 80s when women were trying to find some foothold in in being looked at as equals with men or at least like i want to get paid equally which it's 2018 and we still don't so um just trying to get an idea or uh, find a positive representation of women um, in film and I think that while I get it just personally like while I get that idea especially in 1987 um, I don't feel like this movie was ever trying to say that this is that what all women of uh, of um, in a position of power or what all women are like I think that this movie definitely feels very narrow and it is more about mental illness I think than it is about women um I've kind of always felt that way and after learning about this idea was like yeah I get it I get it starts out on the right foot but then yeah it plays on her yeah and I think she's the emotional wreck you know and and I get it but it's like you could have put a man in that position and it would have been about mental illness I think you could have substituted anyone uh, no matter what gender um it this movie would be much more about mental illness than it would be about like this is a negative portrayal of a woman I mean there have been plenty of movies I can think of a thousand movies even back in like the 40s and 30s of like the femme fatale character. Yes. Right. This character exists for and, sure. And it is uh cuz I think that people consider it's considered, you know, historically a strong female mm-hmm. role, mm-hmm. a performance, but yeah, what you're saying is it, 
this is negative. She's a villain. She's a monster. Um, But I I think in, yes, okay, if you want to look at it in that way, yes. Yet again, this was another portrayal of a monstrous woman um, as the villain. But to me, this movie, like I said, is more about mental illness than it is about anything to do with gender. Yeah. Yeah, But there was that controversy. Yeah, there, yeah. And I think I think yeah, it's it's strange because it's a movie where a movie changed because of people's reaction, mm-hmm. um, and people wanted wanted her to be the villain, uh, men and women, I guess. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, we see that with the change with the ending change. Right. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Interviews that I read with Glenn Close, it's like she was striving for the mental illness angle, mm-hmm. but the movie went more of a high concept. I guess what does it say about society then? Yeah. We, we want, we a want deep topic. Yeah. <laughs> still is. But mental illness is still something that is it not is. taken serious. So, yeah. yeah. But if it just, if it's any, uh, if it's any help, it's definitely well documented that Glenn Close's thought process behind all of this was coming from that position. Yeah. A place of I, yeah of of dealing uh, with someone who's mentally yeah mentally ill, and I think that that's incredibly important. Well, let's. Uh, There's a lot. There's a lot of good stuff. I'm I'm glad we chose this movie. Yeah. Um. Well, we will uh, move on to our pick of the weeks, mm-hmm. and if you've been listening to the podcast, uh, each week we try to pick a film that maybe isn't necessarily one that we love but we appreciate and we try to make that film connect to our main film of discussion uh my connection being uh the movie foxes uh, which was adrian lynn's first film Lindsay, your film was war of the roses war of the roses with the michael douglas connection Mm -hmm. uh do you want to start us off here with uh war of the roses yeah definitely um all right, so I'll be the first on board to say I'm the biggest fan of Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner films. Uh, they made three together, and my favorite is, as we mentioned, The War of the Roses. It was made in 1989 and directed by and also starring Danny DeVito. Um, it's one of the darkest comedies I've ever seen because it's about divorce. In a comedy about divorce, there's so many, so many feelings that could be stirred up. Um, so the movie follows the romantic beginning and eventual demise of the relationship. The majority of the film is actually about the separation of the couple. It's more of a cautionary tale about the horrors of divorce. Um, and, and it also kind of occurred to me that when the film came out in the late eighties at the time when materialism had become unapologetically popular, um, that this movie kind of makes a lot more sense. Um, Along the same lines, The War of the Roses uh, really displays how um, selfishness, greed, materialism um, can really take down and dissolve uh, an individual's integrity. In, case, in, in this case, the um, Barbara and Oliver Rose, um, who were once two totally together functioning people, but are now reduced to these monstrous versions of who they once were. I'll always find this film to be incredibly honest, despite the extreme lengths this movie goes to in in the idea of revenge. 
Um, the stubbornness of both individuals refusing to leave the house, the almost blind yet impassioned frustration both characters seem to feel is absolutely gut-wrenching. Um, it feels like so many of these scenes and almost 100% of the dialogue have to have happened to so many people, um, bef- either from this, uh, from the um, director or the writer's past or their their own experience. It just feels too honest. Some of the film is painful, but its brutal honesty is needed, I think, in order to drive home um, so many points that it has. Uh, it's over the top, comedically uncomfortable in some instances, but also extremely, um, what's the word? I would almost say barfable and unbearable in, in its most heartaching scenes. Um, the you more say, Did you say barfable? I did say barfable. Okay. <laughs> There's some moments that it's just like, oh, it's like sick to your stomach. Oh, God. And it's really as an adult, really. And knowing anyone that's gone through divorce, you just want to go, oh, God. Um, <laughs> but I would say that the moral of this movie is divorce is survivable, but it doesn't mean that it's not painful. Um, both Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas, I think, are truly phenomenal in this film as they are pretty much both flawless, impeccable actors, usually in every film that they're in. Um, but this is definitely my favorite of theirs together. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning that as a kid, I saw so many things in this movie that I thought were funny. Like anytime that adults were, ad- anytime that adults were fighting in extreme ways, um, this was funny to me as a kid. But as an adult, I still smirk at these scenes, but they hold so much more weight now. Um, I'll always admire, um, this, this Danny DeVito movie, um, for its frankness and painful subject matter that I know has affected every single person who's been affected by divorce in one way or another. Um, yeah, there's something about it that still sticks with me. There's so many like visual things that really stick with me about it, but just it's overall is always going to be one of my favorite movies. I need to re- your picks of the week always make my end up watching them like the week after we do this. <laughs> you can borrow it. Because um, I haven't seen this movie in a while, but I do I, I do enjoy the film. And I, I remember this film being maybe one of the first, my first understanding of what a dark comedy is. Yeah. Um, you know, this like very sublime dark undertones but yet there's funny things going on but the situations are and I, I it's not like a slapsticky funny yeah. type of thing at all it's there's like a dark it's very much a dark humor and i think that was the this was the first film where i'm like oh okay i see you know and then after mm-hmm. that i saw it in many other films that came before it and after but um i had a friend of mine who went through divorce and i was we were friends at the time when she was going through it and she said that and she happened to know this movie too and she said the moment when Kathleen Turner says that she wants a divorce there's this there's this thing that happens in the movie and it's like a visual element and she's like when I said that to my husband that was exactly what I felt and it was like to me every time I watch that now I think of that and like how I think there are just so many things that are honest about this movie um that it's not completely depressing even though it's about divorce yeah um but it's it's worth a viewing for for anyone that i think has been in a relationship which is pretty much everyone yeah yeah 
Justin, what Good about pick. you? What's your pick? Um, so my pick was Foxes, mm-hmm. which was Adrian Lynn's first film. It's a film that I have not seen until uh, a week ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized that I'm kind of a completist, and I realized it was the only film of his which I had not seen. Um, so I checked it out, and I will say this film is definitely – there's some visual elements that you you can see of Adrian Lynn's style, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, I would say this is his most, and you know, it was his first film, so he's probably getting his bearings. But um, sure. this is definitely most all his films have been about the relationship between two characters and some intense relationship. And the Foxes is about four teenage girls growing up in the San Fernando Valley. And the movie sort of bounces around the four of them. And they're four, four uh, girls who don't necessarily have a lot in common, but they're sort of almost like sisters in the way they book. They have this family bond and uh, partying very hard. Um, and it really is, uh, it takes the movie about 45 minutes to, to really get to somewhere yeah it's sort of aimless but once once it gets to the 45 minute 50 minute mark the movie really takes off it sort of lingers more on Jordy Fo- Jodie Foster's character who she's sort of the mother hen of these three other girls um and we kind of get more meat to her character and her relationship with her mother and her father really what's interesting my recommendation for this film I've seen is number one uh, Jodie Foster just really this is one of those movies where early on you're just like she she has such a unique way of, of, in which she presents characters and this maturity and integrity and intelligence and um, really shines through in this film uh, also really early roles by Randy Quaid uh, Blinking You'll Miss It role by Laura Dern I think it was one of her first on-screen performances no uh, if you're a fan of The Runaways I think this is one of the few Cherie Curry's starring roles or co-starring roles and she does you know she's not a great actress but does an admirable role and she plays the sort of one who's always you know hooked on drugs and they're you mean Cherie Curry uh, what's that (laughs) being herself yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, and she's always getting the group in trouble like they're always trying to help her out um and the movie does kind of it it teeters back and forth It, it kind of loses its it sort of sidesteps and has subplots that some are interesting and some are not and uh, extremely bleak, bleak film, really, to be honest, it almost starts out like a after a school special and then goes into some really bleak territory. This is kind of a hard to find movie, but it is available on YouTube. That's where I watched it. So, um, yeah, not particularly a great film, but I did enjoy it and it's definitely worth uh, checking out if anything for early Jodie Foster, early Adrian Lynn. All right. Well, uh, we've got our final, uh, part of the podcast here, which is our Murray moment. And, uh, if you've been with us for the fast few episodes, um, you'll know, but I'll go ahead and mention that we end each podcast with, uh, Lindsay giving us a little tidbit on Bill Murray, who is beloved here at the podcast. And, uh, we like we call this our Murray moment. So Lindsay, uh, I never know what you're going to say or what, what information you have here. So this is always a surprise to me as it is to you, the listener. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And 
When I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna confiscate my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even show. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. So in thinking about Bill Murray in relation to our feature this time around, I remembered um, a time when Michael Douglas and Billy impersonated the same real life human, the incredibly flamboyant singer, pianist, and actor Liberace. Um, so Douglas was spot on in playing, um, you know, this role as Liberace in this movie called um, Behind the Candelabra, um, which was released in 2013, which is totally worth a viewing if you haven't checked it out. It was only months later um, that Bill Murray made a historic Murray moment when he was um, on David Letterman's, uh, well, he was his first guest on the 20th anniversary show, um, entering the stage in grand fashion as Liberace, coming in in a white Rolls Royce, uh, a massively fashionable white cape, impeccable wig, and uh, with an accompanying white dog to match the entire ensemble. Billy as Liberace was easily his biggest, most ridiculous of appearances um, on any Letterman show that he'd been on. Um, But it wasn't his only appearance. Um, So starting in um, 1983, when Letterman was on NBC, Billy was his first guest. Um, Then when Letterman moved to CBS, Billy was also his first guest. So naturally, um, the 20th anniversary show, um, this appearance should be extra special. Um, in the 33 years that Letterman was on television, both NBC and CBS, uh, Billy made over 40 appearances. Each time, he was always in an outlandish costume um, that seemed to make no sense or had some new persona um, or cockamamie story that he would enter with it that equally either made no sense or he was hurried or just was some epic story behind it. Um, but but um, Billy as Liberace will always take the cake. Um, Granted, he didn't um, keep up the impersonation all too well or all too long, um, but watching him as Liberace for over 20 minutes never gets old. Um, But I will say, though, Michael Douglas totally did it better. It's interesting just mentioning all these appearances that Bill Murray did Mm -hmm. because, you know, he was not a stand-up comedian, but yeah, he took these opportunities. Generally, you know, actors go, and a lot of times, even comedic actors nowadays, they they're they're going to plug the movie. But a lot of times, he would take these appearances to do his own com- his own thing, comic bit. Like, it, and it would be so weird too. Like, there were uh, th- this kind of sparked me like watching a lot of appearances on Letterman. And he, okay, I mean, some would be he was sitting in the chair talking to Letterman, um, whether it was about a movie he was in or some, like, you know, bull story that was not true at all. And other times he would just, like, come on to read the top ten list. Um, He, I I don't know, I haven't done the research as to, like, what his affinity for David Letterman was, um, but obviously there, there was something there. 
Um, have you seen him as Liberace? I haven't. I'll <laughs> probably watch it tonight. Though I when I get, I, I I try to shy. I try to shy away from these like Letterman YouTube okay. clips because I'll, it'll be like three hours later. I'll watch. Yeah, it you can get sucked down a rabbit. I mean, I did row. get sucked down a rabbit hole. Um, I do. I mean, you can find this clip on on YouTube very easily. I have to say that as as what Bill Murray does. As he he'll keep up a bit for a second, and then he totally lapses into being Bill Murray. But he's in costume still the whole time, so it's like he's in this ridiculous costume, but he's still being himself. And when he starts out, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I love him so much and I'm gay. But like watching him play a gay man is never not the most endearing thing to me. Like Ed Wood, I can't get enough of it. Really, right. Um. Anyway, you need to check that out tonight I'll, on YouTube. I will check it out. Okay. I'm gonna check that out and I'm gonna rewatch War of the Roses. And I'm gonna watch Foxes, I guess, tonight. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Always for the Murray moment. Of course. I appreciate it. Of course. I think it's always a nice way to end these episodes. Um. Well, if you've stuck with us this far, uh, we hope you're enjoying the movies, the discussions. Um, if you're liking what you hear or if you don't like what you hear or you have a comment or a suggestion, you can email us at don'tpushpausepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at don'tpushpausepodcast. We're usually posting what we're watching. Staying or, pretty, pretty up on that. I try, I try to update I'm Trying it, to get know. better. Yeah. Our next podcast, we're really switching gears here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, which I think is good. I like the idea of... Uh, not we're, really sticking we're to jumping one particular all around, genre, but... or uh, I mean, I know our our ideas, eighties, nineties films, or movies that you've just forgotten about, or maybe should revisit, or, yeah, or, or or not even in. I mean, this is just happens to be, but like this movie was remade, and maybe yeah. you need to see the original because yeah. maybe it was great. So next uh, next podcast we'll be doing. The Predator, the 1987, uh-huh. another 1987 film. Oh yeah, that's with right. uh, Arnie and <laughs> Carl Weathers, Action Jackson himself. Action Jackson himself. I love Predator. I, I do was, too. It's, it's always it, an action movie that I watched as a kid. Yeah, it's the Not Predator a kid's movie. is one of those movies I watch once a year easily. It's still uh, engaging. It's still like. Never get tired of it. It's never boring, for sure. So that's one. Uh, there's a lot to talk about with that yeah. one. I'll be excited for us to um, get into that. Yeah. I also just like when we pick a movie because then it's like forces me to watch it multiple mm-hmm. times in a week. Like I have a reason to. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I need to watch Predator like I'd five times. Out with you guys, so but I need to watch Predator tonight. If you want to hang out, we can watch Predator. Right. But yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's what uh, will be coming your way on the next episode. Other than that, thank you so much for listening. I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reaper. Thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs>